Hello? Hello? Is anyone there? Hello? I've got it, Eugenia. We're now developing a master plan that encompasses the theme park and all the facilities around it that will serve the tourists. Hotels, motels, and a variety of recreation activities. Animal Kingdom Control, we read you loud and clear. Please proceed with broadcast. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and thank you for tuning in once again. This is show number 41 for the week of November 18th, 2007, and happy birthday, Mickey Mouse. News from Walt Disney World this week includes some information about a new character meal that just opened, as well as a new princess at the Disney MGM Studios. Speaking of dining, I'm joined by a listener who was able to experience the opening day of the Yak and Yeti restaurant at Disney's Animal Kingdom, as we get a full first-hand review of the venue, including discussion of the decor, story, menu, service, shopping, and more. Join me as we take another trip aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine to 1982, when we look at another attraction that had the whole town cooking and prepare to start singing Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit as Jeff and I take a detailed look at the land's extinct attraction, Kitchen Cabaret. We announced the winner of contest number nine of the Walt Disney World Half Marathon Challenge Contest and Iron Mike Scopa joins Eric Hollister in presenting the next in this ongoing contest. I have more emails to answer, including questions about the Cinderella Castle Suite, the Walt Disney World Marathon, spas at Walt Disney World, going alone, and how much does it cost to build a theme park? So as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. It was once again a relatively quiet week in the area of Walt Disney World news, but there are a couple of things of note. First, the Tusker House over at Disney's Animal Kingdom reopened this past week and now includes the new character breakfast buffet as well as a non-character buffet for lunch and dinner. If anybody's had the chance to experience the new character meal or has any photos of the restaurant that they're willing to share, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com and I can post them in the show notes. Over at the Disney MGM Studios, Giselle from the upcoming Disney film Enchanted has been spotted in the parks by a listener who said that she is now the Grand Marshal of the Hollywood Holiday Parade, which started last week. She can be seen in a horse-drawn carriage before the actual parade begins, and it's not known whether or not she'll appear for character meet-and-greets at the studios or elsewhere, such as the Magic Kingdom. Speaking of the holidays... The Holidays Around the World and Candlelight Processional has begun this week as holiday customs and traditions from around the world are showcased from November 23rd through December 30th at, during Holidays Around the World at Epcot. The celebration features international storytellers and a nightly character tree lighting ceremony as well as a wonderful synchronized light show and the highlight, in my opinion, the Candlelight Processional. There, guest narrators will join a masked choir, we've talked about this before, and a full orchestra for a retelling of the Christmas story at the America Gardens Theater. At night, there's a special edition of the Illuminations Reflections of Earth show. Be sure you stay for the holiday tag at the end. It is definitely worth the price of admission to Epcot in and of itself. 
Now, coming up this week, the first few narrators for the Candlelight Processional are going to be basketball legend David Robinson from the San Antonio Spurs. He's there from November 23rd through the 25th. From the 26th through the 28th is actor John O'Hurley from Seinfeld and Dancing with the Stars. And November 29th through December 1st is Neil Patrick Harris from How I Met Your Mother. Finally, it looks like the new Fantasia store is almost ready to open at the Grand Concourse level of Disney's Contemporary Resort. I saw the store, and it looks like the original concept art that we saw a few months ago. It looks very fun, very interesting, very colorful, and a shaped like a not-so-hidden Mickey on top. Uh, look for it to open probably within the next week. I'm hearing from Cass that it should be open in time for the holiday rush this Thanksgiving. So that is going to do it for this week's news. Like I said, not a lot this week. Uh, I also have no rumors this week. I am working on a couple, but did want to wait until I have a little bit more information before I share them with you. Now, if you have any news or rumors that you want to share, by all means, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. During the news last week, I mentioned that the much-anticipated Yak and Yeti restaurant over in Disney's Animal Kingdom was going to be opening to guests on November 14th as a walk-up restaurant only. Unfortunately, I had left Walt Disney World the day before, but a friend of the show and longtime listener Glenn had actually called me from the restaurant and left a voicemail, along with a CM, about his experience. So we started talking, and I'd, I decided to have Glenn come on and give his first-hand review and opinion of the restaurant and the entire experience. So I want to welcome listener Glenn Whalen to the show. Glenn, welcome, buddy. Lou, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, this is great because I really wanted to try and capture this um, as soon as possible and give people an idea of what the entire Yak and Ready, Yak and Ready, Yak and Yeti restaurant and entire kind of experience was like. So you were actually able to get there the day it opened? Yes, I actually went there. I got there around three o'clock. So it was probably midway through their day since they closed around six o'clock that night. Okay. And what were the crowds like? Because it was only, it was walk-ups only, correct? Walk-ups only. Um, I approached and was taken to a seat right away. But when I did get to my seat, I did not see any empty tables. So it might have been just my timing was right. Uh, so I was able to get right in there without any wait at all. All right. Well, but you know, it, as long as we're talking about the restaurant, before we start talking about maybe some of the, the decor and the atmosphere, when you said you got your table, what what is the restaurant? How is it laid out? Is it, you know, one large room? Is it a bunch of smaller rooms, something like uh, Liberty Tree Tavern? Well, that's interesting because uh, the the it all it all ties into what the story is. It, it seems to be that the restaurant is what what now appears to be one larger restaurant, but it used to be in its in its past uh, several different rooms. So there, you're you're in what seems to be a much larger space, but when you look around, you realize that these are much smaller rooms all connected. Right, and that all ties into the story behind the restaurant. Okay, and that's one of the things I was going to ask you about was, do you get a sense of what that story is? And if so, can you tell us from what your, your, your you know, experience right there was, what the story is and what you, know, you got from it from being there? Well, from talking to the person at the, uh, the check-in desk, if, uh, as the story goes, a wealthy landowner in the village of uh, Anandapur, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. And the, the landowner had fallen on hard times. And since the village is located near Everest Base Camp, he, uh, he decides to convert his large home 
into a hotel and restaurant to bring in money from mountain climbers that are passing by. So the restaurant that opened this past Wednesday was actually been there for many, many years. We just weren't aware of that. And the Imagineers have done a great job in relating that history. Uh, As I roamed the restaurant looking around at things, I could see where old walls had been torn down. They left the remnants of those old walls are there. They're torn down. Uh, where one room ends and another begins. Now it's an open area. Uh, the clues are are gray everywhere. They, each room has different wall coverings and textures. Uh, and the, even the flooring, some of them have tiles, some of them are cement, some are, some it's wood. And right in the middle is an is an atrium. It has now been in, enclosed, uh, but at one point the atrium would have been outdoors. So there's lighting as if it's outdoors, but there's now a roof over their head, and even the uh, the tile in the outdoors is an outdoor tile. I ate in what was once called the uh, the bird room, and at one time, this as the story goes, the owner would keep his birds in this room, and he wasn't able to keep the birds in here any longer. So now this room is filled with uh, etchings of birds. So uh, yeah, so it is a, a is a large uh, two story restaurant with uh, several different rooms that are connected, and you can sense that you're in what was a large what was a large house with several different rooms in it. So I get the feeling that that the theming definitely carries over from Everest and the Everest queue, and even sort of the building that you approach. Um, as you get to Everest, where you, you know you kind of have that hotel there, it's kind of an extension of that, and it's really more that authentic Asian Nepalese kind of theming, as opposed to something that you'd see maybe at, at a rainforest cafe. Absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, I would think that if somebody didn't pay a lot of attention, they would think that this restaurant was always there uh, because it it ties in with many of the um the, much of the decor that is in that that area as you cross the the bridge into asia you you bump right into it and it's and you know it obviously wasn't there before but it looks like it has been there forever it totally matches in with the theming of that area and there's a lot of um much like everest there's a lot of authentic uh, antiques and and props and things like that all Absolutely. Around. In addition to the wall coverings and the, the gorgeous woodwork, the, the grand staircase, the woodwork on the grand staircase is just wonderful. The restaurant is filled with what appears to be authentic Asian antiques. Uh, each, in, each room, once again, has its own offerings. The antiques are all different and how they're displayed is different. Um, once again, unique to what that room would have been originally. So it's not all – it's not a uh, – it's not one type of theming across the restaurant. See, now this kind of stuff gets me excited because I know <laughs> what kind of hidden treasures are probably, you know, lurking all around the entire restaurant, knowing what they did in Everest and knowing what the Imagineers do all around the park. So I'm excited to go not just to eat, but to kind of just look around and, and, and geek out to a certain degree. But Oh, yeah. I was I was going around, you know, felt like such a, such a geek, taking pictures over people's heads, you know, but... but <laughs> Walking around and while people are trying to eat, you know, I mean, I certainly wasn't taking pictures of people while they're eating. Well, there's a couple people that <laughs> got in the shot. Get used to the strange looks. I've been getting them for years. So. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and the sure. restaurant is, it's a two, I mean, it's a big restaurant. It's two stories. Yes. Yes, it's two stories, uh, and but there are certain areas that are going to be that are going to be prime seating. Of course, the atrium is a pretty cool place because you are uh, 
eating what was once outdoors. But there's also upstairs, there's a second story window seats, a row of window seats that look down onto that, that road into Asia towards Everest that just is was great seating. Um, you know, you got a big glass window and you can see all the people walking by. It really is probably going to be prime seating. And they don't make it a, it's not a, that's not a big area. It seems like you're in an atrium looking out. It's really great. And now there, there's table service and there's counter service as well, right? So I assume the seating inside is strictly for table service because um, that's what you, yes. ate, you ate at the table service, right? I ate the table service. The, there seems to be no connection between the table service and the counter service outside. The, the menu is different. Uh, the offerings are different. They're just uh, connected. Probably They probably share only the, the possibly portions of the kitchen. Uh, they, don't, they don't bump into each other in any way. They don't operate together. Okay. Well, let's get to the good stuff. Let's talk about the actual food itself. Um, some of the, you know, maybe you can cover some of the things that were on the menu, what you ordered, um, what you thought about the quality of the food, maybe the authenticity sure. of the food. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the the, the menu was was uh, pretty big. Uh, they they seem to have a lunch and a menu uh, and a di- dinner menu, but I'm not sure how different those would be because uh, it seems that 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 park seems to close at five or six o'clock uh, when the sun goes down. So th- I don't know how long the dinner section would be if they actually offer a different menu. But they do have lunch and dinner seating. But um, you know they have several different appetizers and um, specialties: soup, salads, their sides. They have a wok offerings etc what was interesting about it for me is that it looks like a standard um maybe a chinese restaurant menu but when the food arrived it wasn't served in a standard chinese restaurant way which made it it went from it went to be to seem to be very authentic to me because you know when you order the um what what were just say your pot stickers or something like that. It came in a, and it was in a, a gorgeous, uh, a, a gorgeous, like a basket, serving, like like a dim sum a, basket. A nice, nice, gorgeous basket. Yeah, and the steam was coming out of it. And but and the egg rolls, they don't look like they were something that were were sitting there. They don't, they don't, they did not look like they were just um, taken out of the microwave or anything like that. Everything seemed very unique. I had ordered uh, as an appetizer. I ordered the wok fried green beans when it was a large selection of green beans that were breaded and they were they were delicious and i ordered um, for my meal i ordered something off of their specialties which was the crispy mahi mahi which was a very large piece of fish and it was delicious and was unlike anything i ever had but it was it is served with jasmine rice and stir-fried vegetables, and as another situation where jasmine rice and stir-fried vegetables, I've had many restaurants, but here was a restaurant that when I got it, it wasn't like any jasmine rice or stir-fried vegetables I've ever had. The, the rice was uh, more of a dirty rice. It was darker, and the stir-fried vegetables were um, soaked in a sauce. It was just, just really delicious. It, it it sounds like it, it's not traditional theme park food by any stretch of the imagination because when the menu sort of was, was released last week, there were things on there like egg rolls and chicken fried rice and crispy chicken, sweet and sour pork, and it, you know, lo mein, whatnot. So it almost sounded to a certain degree uh, to be a generic Chinese-style menu. But things I'm hearing now and things I saw that, that you had written was, in addition to the mahi-mahi, there's 
uh, Shaozing shank steak and shrimp. There is, right. um, like you said, there was the um, the dim sum and the wok fried green beans, the, you know, the edamame. So it's a pretty, n- not scary, but eclectic menu and not something that you're going to find like you would find over at Nine Dragons, for example. Right, right. Absolutely. It's, it's the... Uh, as people were getting things, what I was hearing was, this isn't what I expected, but it is delicious. <laughs> right. I heard that from two different tables that uh, what they ordered, what they ordered something they were expecting one thing because it's what it normally would look like. And it came out and the way, the way it was served, they're, they're putting a lot of effort into serving the meal properly. The presentation is very important at this, case, at, at this point. So they were working on that. And a lot of people were, were commenting on this is much better than what I expected it to be. Much like Animal Kingdom in general. I think that's what a lot of Absolutely. people say. It's not what I was expecting, but I think Very it's good. great. Um, you know, right, right. I'm not going to get into the yes. whole half-day, full-day park thing. but <laughs> uh, And that's great. I'm really excited about it because I was hoping that it was not going to be just another, you know. Right. And, and, I, and I don't use mean this as a disparaging thing towards Nine Dragons, but... I wanted it to be something much more exotic as it was originally yes. built. And it definitely seems like it is that way between the theming and the food. And what about the, the portions? Were the, the portions pretty good size? The portion was the – I did not finish uh, my my meal. It was very large. It was actually probably larger than what I'm used to in any of the restaurants I've eaten in. I don't know if it was because they're just opening and they're really trying to figure out what the right portion size should be for everybody. But it was a – I mean it was a, a large piece of fish and, and the – my plate was filled um, so you know, it was a very large portion throughout the restaurant I was looking and what everyone was getting was was very large there was a, a cut of steak that somebody had that was uh, at least three inches high and it was um, you know all, all around the place everybody the the ribs which once again they're called baby back ribs but they don't look anything like baby back ribs that you would get in any barbecue restaurant it's they not were, chilies it's not chilies <laughs> it's not chilies right correct right the uh, drink menu is uh, pretty vast as well. Um, I I ordered a what they called glacier water, which was uh, a blue a blue syrup with coconut syrup and Sprite mixed together. And that sounds ridiculous, but it was it was really good. Um, wow, Alco- and, an alcoholic drink, I assume. Oh, uh, that is not an alcoholic drink actually, okay. but they but they do have a large alcoholic uh, menu as well. And uh, so, yeah, I figured it, it's not an alcoholic drink. I wanted to give it a try because it seems like that'd be something that would be hmm. that I'd never seen before. They call right. it glacier water. I guess they're supposed to have gotten it right down from Everest. So, so even even the the drinks and the desserts are not right. just you know Coke and and you know a scoop of ice Correct. cream. There's a lot of different stuff to choose from. Yes, and there are a lot of teas because I guess uh, they had a lot of the teas available that they that they also sell outside in that that village of, of Anandapur or whatever. Right. How was the service? See, yeah. How was the, you know? I know it's the first day, so it's hard to maybe judge. But what was the service like? Our server was really nice. Uh, they don't seem to be. They they weren't sure. Like I like three or four times, I had somebody come up to my table to finally bring me my appetizer, which wasn't one I had ordered. So I'd already finished my appetizer, and they went, "Oh, sorry about. Here's your appetizer." And I no, nope. I already I already <laughs> ate my appetizer. So people had their, their their table numbers wrong and stuff like that. But it was the first day, and they were still trying to juggle some things right. like that. They were doing it with a smile, and the manager came around to me twice to make sure everything was going well. And uh, so that was a great experience. You uh, th- there's a gift shop outside as well, and I was wondering right. if the gift shop. Does it have items that are themed to the restaurant or, th- or or are they meant to be themed towards the 
the the story of being in Nepal and being in Asia, or are they typical Disney souvenirs? And can you get things like you mentioned tea, like tea sets, for example, or anything to kind of give you the sense that you were really shopping in this Nepalese market? Well, the there is a large, uh, uh, I mean, it's actually a small market, but it's got a large offering of Yak and Yeti merchandise. Um, what was interesting about the merchandise to me is, is in this whole store that had uh, maybe 15 different types of shirts and, and uh, sweaters and uh, and Asian-themed um, clothing and hats and shoes. Nothing in it was, was in any way Disney-related or Animal Kingdom-related. It was all Yak and Yeti related so it was you you could buy all these things and they say yak and yeti on them but there's no reference that this is any way related to disney it's more of a um, materials for that particular restaurant um they do offer the the teas and all that stuff throughout that area but nothing was was particular to epcot to the animal kingdom which which actually surprised me but um, we'll see where, where what ends up coming out of that eventually. Because right now there is a huge offering of merchandise that is Yak and Yeti specific. So it doesn't say Yak and Yeti at Disney's Animal Kingdom. It just says Yak and Yeti. Okay. It just says Yak and Yeti or Anandapur Yak and Yeti or just Yak and Yeti. Uh, and there's lots of them. I mean, there's for different shirts for different size people from children up to big adults. So they had everything. But nothing that I did not buy anything. Mm-hmm. As I guess I should put it that way, I ended up looking and saying, "Well, there was a lot to offer, and I didn't buy anything." They didn't even have pins that were specific. Oh, uh, give them time. Give them give, time. Give them time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they had a lot to juggle at this point. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, like we said, the restaurant right now is only walk-ups, uh, and that's going to be up until January 4th. The market, supposedly the market is in full operation, and as of January 1st, it's going to participate in all Disney dining plans. But I, I was, from what I understand, and maybe you know better of having been there, I understand that it, right now you can use the Disney dining plan there, but you cannot use your Disney dining experience card, although DVC members do get 10% off at the table service restaurant. Yeah, actually, the, in addition to the, uh, the uh, Florida resident and annual pass holders are also getting that 10% right now. Um, that was something that I haven't seen advertised in any way, but I asked, and the server said, oh, I will certainly give you that discount. So uh, they, they took my annual pass and uh, went and gave me that discount as well. Excellent. Well, good, because I'm happy because this restaurant sounds more like just a place to go grab a quick bite to eat. It sounds like one of those experiences that I hoped it would be a place that you can really can and should spend time, much like all of Animal Kingdom, looking around and really kind of taking everything in, either while you're waiting or while you're eating or when you're done. Um, So, Glenn Whalen, I really appreciate you coming on. Glenn, you actually have a, a new blog. Might as well give you a chance to shamelessly plug. Oh, that's right. Yes, I have actually started a, a blog. It's uh, it's a passamaquoddy.blog.com. That's named after Pete's Dragon Town of Passamaquoddy. That's spelled P-A-S-S-A-M-A-Q-U-O-D-D-Y.blog.com. And uh, please stop, stop on by and give me any feedback. It's been I've been running it for a few weeks and uh, you know just trying to find out exactly what it's going to be, and I'm having a good time doing it. 
I'm going to put a link up to that in the show notes because uh, some of the kids out there have no idea how to spell Passamaquoddy or who <laughs> Pete's Dragon really was. So uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> definitely go and check it out. You get an A for the name at the very least because I'm a huge Pete's Dragons <laughs> fan. So, Glenn, thank you very much for calling with the voicemail. Thanks for, for coming on with me and really kind of giving us a, a firsthand look at Yak and Yeti. I'm even more excited to go down and check it out uh, when I head back in, in December and again in January. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate everything you do. Well, hello there, WDW Radio Show listeners. Eric Hollister from Geomouse.com, and it is time to update everyone on the winner for challenge number nine. We want to thank everybody for all their submissions, for all those great mile marker names, and also the pictures of you and your group in front of the Disney Mountain Range. We had a lot of submissions from not only Walt Disney World, but we did get some from Disneyland, one even from Tokyo Disney. We accepted them all in the name of fun, and we went ahead and pulled everybody together. And this week for challenge number nine, the winner is William Vangrel. And William has decided to name Lynn, or excuse me, he has decided to name mile marker number nine as Lynn Testa's Mile Omangelo Ding. That's Lynn Testa's Mile Omangelo Ding. Sorry, Lynn, I, it's not mine, it is his. But congratulations to William Vangrel, who wins both Walt Disney World Trivia Books 1 and 2 signed by Lou Mangello, a DisneyWorldTrivia.com t-shirt, the Disney Mountain Imagineering at its Peak by Jason Sorrell, the Art of Ratatouille hard book cover book, as well as Ratatouille on DVD, a lanyard and trading pin courtesy of DisneyWorldTrivia.com, He's also going to get a certificate of dedication for mile marker number nine, which again is Lynn Testa's mile Omangelo ding. And he will also be entered entered into the grand prize drawing, which will take place at the end of the half marathon challenge series in January. And finally, geomouse.com will donate $100 to the Disney World Dream Team Project as we continue uh, to help out the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Stay tuned as later in this broadcast, Mike Scopa from MousePlanet.com and WDW Today joins me to introduce challenge number 10. That'll be challenge number 10. So for now, congratulations, William Vangrel. Back to Lou Mangello and the WDW Radio Show. For this week's trip aboard the Walt Disney World Wayback Machine, we're going to look at something that, according to Disney, had the whole town cooking. And to once again join me on our journey back in time to visit one of Walt Disney World's extinct attractions, I welcome my trusty sidekick, Jeff Dreamboy Pepper. Hey, buddy. It's been a while since we've been together. What's going on? <laughs> Not much. You've totally glossed over the fact that I called you Dreamboy, but that's okay. Because uh, <laughs> they don't know you call me that all the time. <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> Just so you know, Dream Boy is only referring to his affinity to Delta Dream Flight. It has no other connotation to it whatsoever. So <laughs> we're gonna uh, right, sure. we're gonna talk today about um, something, Jeff. That I'm not sure everybody's gonna remember, or probably that many have seen. But if they did, chances are it left an indelible impression on them for a number of reasons whether it was the music, the characters, or maybe even the message that the attraction was given. And, and Jeff, you know, who can forget Bonnie Appetit and the rest of the cast of the Kitchen Cabaret? But why was Chicken Little so upset, Lou? <laughs> there is no way you're going to get me to sing any part of any of these songs. 
His brother was born in a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, we promise that we'll explain uh, where that where that reference comes from. It's um, let, let's let's kind of go back, Jeff, and talk about the beginnings of Kitchen Cabaret, and then we'll talk really about what the story was and take people through the show and the queue and the entire attraction. Um, this opened with the Land Pavilion in 1982, and if you're saying, well, where where was this? This actually occupied the space where Soren is now. The entrance is where the entr- where uh, the queue for Soren is now. Uh, it was sponsored by Kraft before the, the sponsorship of the entire pavilion uh, changed to Nestle in 1992. And there's not really a lot, Jeff, about the, the, the genesis of this project and where it came from, other than we know that the Imagineers that worked on it were Jeff Burke, Rolly Crump, who, whose name is probably very familiar, and Steve Kirk, who was on the show once before when we were talking about Journey into Imagination. Yeah, you, you get uh, you know a few reference points here and there saying you know, that Kraft... And Disney distinctly wanted some type of nutritional type of entertainment. You know, those pushing a nutritional message, and they sort of went in, in this direction. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of difficult to get to any of the creative um, genesis of this this whole project. I mean, clearly, you know, especially as we talk about the show, you'll see the influence uh, of Kraft. And I guess this was probably one of those things where Kraft signed on as a sponsor and said, "Okay, we need to develop a show or an attraction to really kind of highlight." sort of what we do and, and what this did was gave a, a kind of a primer about the four food groups and I know we kind of don't use that today when we talk about the food pyramid but at the time we talked about the four food groups and that's really what it was it was less about an ad for craft than it was an educational show about nutrition yeah, and, and from an Imagineering standpoint um, it was very very much a, a cousin to the Country Bear Jamboree if you if you really look back, take a step back and look at it structurally and kind of the logistics of it, it was very, very much akin to that same type of presentation. Um, you know, all music, um, vignettes, a host that kind of jumped from one spot in the attraction to the, to another spot in different outfits and different costumes. So it was very similar in that regard to that. Well, I think this show is unique and I think the show is important for a number of reasons because if you look back to Epcot, when it opened in 19... 19- uh, 82, because remember, shows like, uh, I'm sorry, attractions like Journey into Imagination didn't open for some time after. When it opened, this is the first non-Magic Kingdom theme park that Disney builds. So guests are coming in, they're looking around, and they see attractions like Spaceship Earth, they see things like Horizons and World of Motion. Uh, what they don't see is anything that's sort of similar to what they were used to in the Magic Kingdom, except for this, a show with animatronics and catchy sort of upbeat music and I think this was kind of was, was that that bridge between the Magic Kingdom and these very fun sort of type of shows and what you had in Epcot and again going away from just something that's entertaining but something that's also educational yeah it, it very much I guess the word the best word to describe it would be whimsical it, it had more of that whimsical nature that you're kind of alluding to very character based but not you know you know funny fruit characters as opposed to, you know, serious, you know, <laughs> right, you know right. cavemen. <laughs> uh, even like World of Motion, which was much more lighthearted, it still did not really go into like sort of the whimsical, like cartoony nature that, that this did. Exactly. Because of the type of characters and animatronics that were in here, you know, there was only one human character in the entire show, and that was the hostess, Bonnie Appetit. Everything else was, you know, a milk carton or a piece of fruit or a vegetable and I think that was some of the appeal 
to kids and, and adults because they kind of were able to, for lack of a better word, relate to, to something more than just um, the, the human figures that you'd find in something like World of Motion. And it's important to mention, too, that, you know, we've, we've talked about this on and off with a lot of our Epcot, Epcot retrospectives, is that, you know, the whole controversy of characters in Epcot. And again, we come back to the fact that there were very distinctly characters in Epcot. They just weren't the Disney canon. And this was another good example where, you know, we, we put so much, you know, importance and focus on Figment because he really sort of became the icon of Epcot and Future World in many regards. But these characters were very, very heavily promoted in that same manner. There was merchandise built around them. Um, they were very, very visible. So they had that very kind of, you know, notoriety in that regard within Epcot Center. Yeah, and like so many of the other attractions in Epcot, and obviously so many more from the Magic Kingdom, Jeff, one of the things that's memorable about this attraction that we'll cover as we go through it was the music, and that was written by Scott Hennessy, and again, by Norman Buddy Baker. I mean, the guy just, like the Sherman Brothers, just keep, keeps kind of hitting it out of the park every for everything that he wrote. Yeah, Buddy Baker, I'm glad you mentioned them because he, you know, the Sherman Brothers do kind of take a lion's share of sort of Disney legend status when it comes to music. And Buddy Baker was this just sort of steady-as-you-go kind of guy that just contributed so much to the movies, to the TV, especially television. But then, like the Sherman Brothers, you know, moved right into the theme parks as well. Yeah, now I'm sure not everybody is going to think that that veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit is, um, you know, is up there with with (laughs) classical works. But it's definitely one of those memorable songs that we talk about all the time. But like I said, we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves. Let's kind of walk through virtually the attraction and... One of the things that I wanted to point out was when you got into the queue, which really was more of a lobby. It was kind of like a, a theater lobby that had um, like coming attractions posters. Again, things that you see over in the Magic Kingdom. And they kind of had, um, it almost looked, Jeff, like like it was an alleyway that you were waiting to kind of well, yeah, it, go into this theater. Say, yeah, It was more like an exterior set because they you, you felt like you were outside and they had a stage door entrance as well as a big marquee. So you were definitely, what I really like about it, you know, not to get, like I said, jump too far ahead, but this was very, very much nostalgic, even in terms of 1982. It was basically going back to almost a 1930s, 40s nightclub kind of sensibility. That's exactly um, where I was going to say it. <laughs> yeah. As we go into the music, you'll see, you know, when we start talking about the music, the things that we're going to allude to are sort of the pop music of the 30s and 40s, not so much the rock and roll years later on. And uh, and that's what kind of that it it's almost like a whimsical version of the gangster set on the movie ride in a, in a kind of weird kind of way. Yeah, and if you uh, remember the posters, the posters had a very Art Deco feel to it, and that's something that they kind of almost carried through. This wasn't supposed to be like a super ultra modern kitchen; it had a, a sort of a retro feel to it, and you definitely saw that in the posters that highlighted not just the show, but the characters as if they were actors that were coming out to perform on stage, like, you know, the Colander Combo and the Serial Sisters, and obviously Ham and Eggs were, were one of the uh, the big stars of the show. Yeah, the, the, you know, when we start out, you know, again, kind of going back to the, the similarities between that, this and Country Bear Jamboree, the kitchen crackpots were basically sort of this condiment band. They were, you know, the ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise kind of group. And they were very similar to the um, the Bears, how the Bears came up center stage. The Bear Band, the, you know, cause kind, of, kind of the background band on the Country Bear Jamboree. And you know, for people that haven't seen this or, or some of the maybe younger listeners are going, wait, 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 wait a second. Uh, the colander is coming out and singing with the fruit <laughs> and the milk carton and... We, I promise this will all make sense. And, and what I'll do is, at the end, too, I have to put up some links to 
maybe some videos on YouTube so people can kind of familiarize themselves with this and maybe some other places that they can get some um, high quality video of the attraction in case you haven't seen it. But once you got inside, once your hostess left you, let you come inside, again, like Country Bear Jamboree, there was this main center stage and there was two smaller stages, one on the left and one on the right and obviously the big craft logo um, on the main curtain. And when the show started, your hostess, Bonnie Appetit, was the first person, actually the only person that you see, but the first character that you see. And she's sitting on top of this stack of cookbooks, dressed as though she just kind of walked out of the kitchen with her apron on. And she's complaining that, you know, okay, it's time to plan another meal again. And she's got these, the, the mealtime blues is what she starts to, to really sing about. She looks tired and she's got these cookbooks and she just almost kind of doesn't know what to do. And that's when the, the fun and mayhem begins. And now, here's your hostess, Bonnie Appetit. Oh dear, it's time for another meal. Yes, there are days when I feel downcast and get the mealtime blues. If I don't plan a proper meal, my menu will be bad news. Oh, mealtime blues can get you every time you die. Oh, can't beat that bad. It's a desperate housewife of 1980. <laughs> In a much, much different type of uh, sense, yeah. <laughs> sense of the word. <laughs> Definitely not what you see on, on ABC, but that really kind of brings you into the first act. And that's what it's made up of. This is made up of a number of different acts. And Bonnie Appetit and the Kitchen Crackpots start singing about how you can chase the, those mealtime blues away. And this is a band. And again, we're not making this up. But, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing screams good music than ketchup, mayonnaise, and mustard getting together to sing some ragtime music about <laughs> how to chase the blues away. <laughs> okay, crackpots, let's get cooking! Thank you, folks, for coming to my kitchen. Sing the praise of good nutrition Eating balanced meals can keep you fit Feeling grand, a variety at your three meals Can only improve the way you feel The basic food groups make the perfect team When balanced, they are held in high esteem Dairy, bread, and cereals Meat, fruit, and vegetables They'll help you chase those blues Those low-down mealtime blues They'll help you chase the blues away. Really? It, it really happened this way, guys. And it did. It, and it, and Bonnie <laughs> Appetit, she changed costumes because now no longer was she a tired and desperate housewife. Now she's like this little cocktail waitress. She's And she's all, you know, jazzed up and ready to go. And uh, she, she starts singing about chasing the mealtime blues away with... with mustard so <laughs> um i'm telling you this was a good show if you've never seen it really believe us um act two is the stars of the milky way and this stars the dairy goods and his stars of the milky way and uh he kind of changes the style a little bit and and as i talk about this it makes me think of how jeff when we talked about journey into imagination you've got all these different songs with different sort of um 
genres and types of music. Well, now, instead of being that ragtime music, you've got this Mr. Dairy Goods is almost like a crooner, kind of a, a 1930s style crooner. It's time to meet some beauties at this our rendezvous. We all come from the dairy with moving words for you, with grace and ease. Here is Miss Cheese, a delightful array of curds. Your taste buds, I'll appease. I know how to please. It's known that I'm too good for words. Oh, isn't that right, big boy? Oh, it certainly is. It's nice to flirt with Miss Yogurt, the love of many gourmet. Your palate is assured and really quite cultured. Make a sour see no care on each and every day. Mm, but of course, often I dream of Miss Ice Cream, a beauty. Who's charming and sweet? Mm, I'm cool through and through, and I've got a double scoop for you to be with me, baby. <laughs> it's such a tasty treat. Yeah, we we really are kind of tra traversing the decades here, and and the style that's brought forth here is he's very cool because he's the milk carton and he's very stylized. <laughs> what you say, very much. You can almost see the crooner kind of nature to his face that they're kind of caricaturing. By the way, you just said let's, let's, he's really cool because he's the milk carton. <laughs> yeah. Trust me on this. Frame of oh, reference, but, people. <laughs> yeah. All right. But anyway, what is neat is that he's holding a microphone. He's holding a, an old-style radio microphone, not not unlike typically the... The, that famous WDW radio show microphone. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but he's holding it, so it's it's like they're kind of parroting or even sort of simulating the old-style radio performers as they performed for studio audiences um, in the old radio days. And what great detail here, which is very, very cool, you know, is that the name of the radio station that's emblazoned, sort of carved out of the microphone is K-O-W, cow. <laughs> great detail. And... Um, and the the girls, the his stars of the Milky Way, uh, Miss Cheese, Miss uh, Ice Cream, and help me out, help me out, um, Yogurt, Yogurt, Miss Yogurt, Frogurt. They're <laughs> they're very much sort of caricatures of different types of performers, and Miss Cheese is the one that's the most distinctive because they're very very much calling on uh, Mae West. They're oh yeah, kind of channeling Mae West through Miss Cheese. Yeah, they, these they're all kind of little seductresses. The way they're kind of made up, and she's got. Um, and just so you know, she's a big giant hunk of, of yellow Swiss cheese, but she's got this huge hat on and this orange feather boa. And Miss Yogurt has got this slinky little skirt and kind of legs are hanging down. Um, and again, as as though you know, Mister Dairy Goods with his kind of pencil thin mustache is this superstar and, and sex symbol of the thirties. <laughs> you know, because he has a milk carton, so you know how popular milk cartons. But they. Uh, it's and it, you know, it's a stretch here, but you can almost kind of get a sense of, like we talked about before, characters and the connection to things that you'd see in the Magic Kingdom, because they're very kind of fanciful, they're very whimsical, um, and Disney breathes life into 
you know, a, a carton of milk and, and a slice of cheese. So, <laughs> but um, the next, uh, the next of the big acts in Act Three are the Serial Sisters, and they sing a, a really great take on um, the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Again, kind of moving through time, and it's called the Boogie Woogie Bakery Boy. And the Serial Sisters were not making this up. Rennie Rice, Connie Corn, and Mersey Oates. And uh, if you are familiar with who or what the Andrews sisters used to do, that's exactly what these three were supposed to be like. They uh, they kind of had a, a very like swing style, and there was actually a loaf of bread that was playing a trumpet with his with his shades on, kind of very much akin to, to Dizzy Gillespie. And uh, they were sitting on this. They kind of popped out of the cabinet, <laughs> singing. Yeah, this. Yeah, this, this was very much again, kind of shifting decades again. This was the '40s. Um, the Andrew Sisters. A lot of people don't realize it because you know a lot of folks out there don't feel that popular music started with Elvis Presley and the Beatles. But the Andrew Sisters were huge, huge in the in the 1940s, especially through the war. And again, the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy was their signature song during World War II. And so this was just a great riff on on that whole thing. And and the vocals were perfect; they matched up perfectly. So again, you know, this whole pre rock and roll retro was was just very very much the theme of the show, and it really came out in this particular scene. Now, direct from the silos of the Midwest, the Serial Sisters. We'd like to sing about a friend who has really come far. He started with some dough and then he rose to be a star. He's hot when he leads the bread and cereal group. An oven right trooper, he can never be duped. It's known that he's no clown. A boogie woogie bake, we boil the bread with a sound. And again, you, uh, yeah, actually, the thing I think they referred to the, the slice of bread. He was the toast of the town, right? <laughs> and when you mentioned Dizzy Gillespie, he had the big puffed up cheeks right. when he was playing the trumpet. <laughs> so it, it's there's there's just a lot of detail in there that, that alludes to a lot of this. And again, kids, you're learning and don't know it because you've now just covered two of the food groups: the cereal group and the dairy group. So, uh, and but, two ages of jazz as well. That's right. <laughs> you're in, you're introduced to to music that you probably wouldn't have. And again, people are going, Andrew Sisters, who, what? But um, the the next is probably one of the more memorable acts because it's all about meat. And uh, who else to talk about meat than ham and eggs? And these two guys were, you know, ham was just this big hunk of pork roast and, and eggs was this little egg on stilt with a bow tie and a cane and he tipped his hat. And they were really more like a vaudeville act, the way they kind of riffed off one another and sang and told corny jokes much like you 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 led this whole segment in, in with because we do want to know why chicken little was so upset the other day lou <laughs> sorry fellas well here they are a real hot act to have come to us from a successful tour of the breakfast circuit those breakfast buddies ham and eggs home home on the range in the pan with the butter that song the one we rehearsed oh. as members of the meat group we would like to sing this song and cook you up some ditties as we're singing right along at meals our act is very keen we're chock full of protein the, the meat group can help you keep strong, strong. 
now we'll really beef up this act. Uh, speaking of me, let's tell them what happened down at the chicken coop, eh? A hungry fox boldly walking through a hen house door. Too bad for him, he met a hen who stood at six foot four. He won't forget the licking. He got from that big chicken. Now, now he, he gets, gets his poultry from, from the store. <laughs> By the way, Mr. A. Yeah? Why was Chicken Little so upset the other day? Well. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, very corny jokes about that. But while they're doing it, they're talking about, you know, how cheese is a good source of protein. And, oh, beans. Beans are good for you, too. And, uh, you know, again, kind of riffing and, and almost um, going, going playing off one another. And they were animated. The other thing, you know, we should point out, too, all these characters and all these fruits and vegetables and milk cartons were a animated. Uh, Mr. Eggs, his bow tie would move and he would... Tilt his hat and his eyes would would, would go up and down, and um, you know he would laugh and he would he would emote. I mean, he'd be able to emote. And again, he's an egg, folks. So <laughs> bear bear with me here. It it is an egg, and uh, he holds a certain distinction, Jeff. That I'm sure you know. What what does what does Mister Eggs hold the distinction of, of being over there at Epcot? Well, other than you know, the best, to, other than the best dressed egg. Prior to Julie arriving in Backstage Magic. Um, <laughs> He was a part of the Computer Central's Astuter Computer Review. He was used as an example of how the computers in computers in the central computer base there manipulated from a great distance these audio animatronics. Yeah, so he's the only character to appear, quote-unquote, simultaneously, because we know that characters you know, can't appear in more than one place at a time. So he would kind of run through the little Epcot Utilidors, I guess, shoot over to Backstage Magic, do his uh, non-speaking part, and then run back and kind of do his, his uh, song and dance routine with his partner over there. Kind of like what we do. Or, or kind of <laughs> like Santa Claus where he has helpers everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Hey, listen, don't ruin the magic for people, would you please? <laughs> <laughs> so the next act, the fifth act, is... Uh, or maybe this this might be the most memorable. Not because the, the Colander combo and all their fiesta fruit with their kind of Latin rhythm going was memorable, but because of the song. And if you want to start singing the, the lyrics to Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit, I, I welcome you. You have the stage. You're thinking about it, chirp, aren't you? Chirp, chirp, <laughs> chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> I'll play it. I'll play it, you know. Yeah. You know and so you, so Same you know way to the background music. <laughs> <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, those fresh, ripe performers, the Colander Combo and the Fiesta Fruit. There are no substitutes for wee veggie fruit, fruit, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. You see, a balanced meal always wins with our vitamins. A and C, 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 fruit, fruit, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit, veggie, fruit, fruit. But yeah, you have this is where you have the this produce coming out, talking about vegetables, and you have broccoli, and broccoli was kind of the the head uh, of this uh, of this group, and tomatoes and bananas. And they're singing Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit. And Bonnie is back again. This time, again, a la Country Bear Jamboree. She comes out of the, out of the top of the stage sitting on a crescent moon. And, again, vague, obscure old reference here. If you know who Carmen Miranda was, that's who she looked like. And, and again, that is, you know, we're playing to this sort of Calypso, South American, Latin musical sensibilities of the time, you know, not not so far removed from, you know, Harry Belafonte and the Banana, you know, <laughs> song or whatever. So, we still haven't hit the rock era. That's going to come way later in a totally different context. <laughs> <That's right>. but. <laughs> 
But uh, that brings us to the finale, where Bonnie is, she's back dressed like the housewife again, but she's she's much happier because not only has she learned about the four food groups, but she's gotten some uh, pretty darn good entertainment in the process. And she's sitting on the moon and everybody comes out in this raucous medley of, uh, of all the songs that, that um, they kind of play through before they kind of, you know, close things out. And, um, you know, it's so hard to describe it without actually seeing it. I'm trying to put myself in the mind of, of a listener that maybe has no idea what Kitchen Cabaret was. And, and they're saying, wait a minute, I'm still not getting the whole woman dressed like Carmen Miranda while the singing bananas are beneath her. But um, it, it was a great show. And, uh, and, and then they're left, you know, asking the question, well, does she eat them all at the end? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to my kitchen. Thank you for playing where I'm going to uh, slice and dice you and feed you to my family. <laughs> but a piece of Mr. Ham, maybe. <laughs> <things are right. laughs> And, uh, and in, in true Disney tradition, when you left the show, there was actually a store outside called Broccoli and Company. Again, not making it up. And there was a lot of kitchen cabaret items. It wasn't just things that you could find to use in your kitchen, but there were character items. There was plushes and there was, you know, little pieces of broccoli that you could take home, you know, like, like, the, like the characters in the show. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And, and what... What, what, what upset me is they were just kind of beginning to fade out right when I hit Epcot in about 87. A lot of that was winding down, and so I, I, I think the best I got out of the deal was a placemat. <laughs> but, yeah. postcards. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, Kitchen Cabaret um, did, not, um, did not last all that long. I mean, it did close in January of 94, so it did have a pretty good run before it was replaced by Food Rocks, which is probably something that I think Jeff deserves its own segment because that is very much like this, but in a, in a completely different vein. And if you think talking about singing fruits and vegetables is odd, where do we start talking to you about Peter Gabriel and singing eggplants? <laughs> <laughs> and the Peach Boys. And, and if you know who Neil Sadaka is, you'll, you'll fit totally right in. But I think that is part of the reason why the show closed. Um, from an educational standpoint, the message that they were trying to to convey to people about the four food groups went away. I mean, that's what I knew as a kid, but now we talk about uh, the food pyramid. And, and obviously, they couldn't kind of transition the show to the food pyramid. So that's part of the reason why I think um, it went away. And actually, there was one character from the show that did make the cut. He did stay on for Food Rocks, and that's your good buddy, Mr. Dairy Goods. But Jeff, even after... You know, your show is over and you left the store and you got your, your Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit CD or actually it was probably cassette tape at the time and um, got your, your books and postcards with, with all your favorite characters and actually pins. They actually sold pins back then. There were other places around the parks. Obviously, we talked about the Astuto Computer Review and Backstage Magic that you can find them. But that wasn't the end. They were gone but not forgotten because the cast of Kitchen Cabaret showed up a number of other places. And the first thing that I remember was earlier this year, they released a commemorative pin um, 
as part of the White Glove Remember When series. I remember seeing the Kitchen Cabaret pin. But there's other places as well, too. Yeah, they wasn't it just a few years ago they actually showed up in some of the um, signing or designs for um, Food and Wine. Yeah, I remember yeah, I 2000, there. yeah, 2003 they were in Food and Wine. And they weren't 3D characters. They were sort of Mr. Toadish cardboard cutout uh, things. But they were talking about veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit in, in something called the Kitchen Carnival. And uh, I, I haven't, I didn't see him this year. I haven't seen him in a number of years, so I don't know if, if maybe they've uh, they've gone by the way the dodo. Yeah, one of the, I'll tell you one of the more interesting little pieces of trivia that's just buried in sort of the Disney obscura is, um, and if you remember in the early '80s, um, Epcot was really when they when the park opened, they were really pushing almost Epcot as a brand, especially in terms of educational um, use. Like they had the teacher center where they would have lesson plans and things like that. Well, they had actually, um, Disney had actually launched a series of what they called the Epcot Educational Media Films, which they were specifically educational films that they, they made for distribution to the schools. And Figment actually appeared in quite a few of these, but one particular one was called Harold and His Amazing Green Plants, and that featured characters from the Kitchen Cabaret. So they were actually, I've never seen it, I've never had access to it, I'm dying to, to get a hold of a copy to take a look at how they did it. Because the, the animation, I saw a couple of the Figment ones, the animation was kind of very limited animation, not your typical Disney, real lush kind of stuff. But I'm just curious to see how, how they rendered rendered the characters. Wow, I, I had no idea. I had never known that they were in um, any sort of film outside uh, of what was in the attraction. So, um, But, you know, kind of just maybe coming full circle and wrapping things up. Why do you think, Jeff, in your opinion, this was something that was, for those of, of us who had seen it, it was so relatively popular and so memorable you know I, I, I hate to keep coming back to Country Bear Jamboree as a comparison but I think it was similar in that it was it was created sort of with this timelessness to it because it was very nostalgic and we talked about the musical styles it's sort of like how the Country Bear had those sort of old fashioned country music cowboy music kind of stylings to it it was something that just appealed to everybody across the board uh, you know uh, a five-year-old kid could go in and just love it for the characters and the liveliness and everything like that. And the, you know, 80-year-old grandmother could go in and just totally be taken in by the musical styles that she remembered, you know, from the 30s and 40s, which we talked about. So I think it just sort of had a, a sort of a universality to it that was just very, very cool and just made everybody really identify with it. I agree. And I think the fact that it was not only able to appeal across such a broad spectrum because it was so fun. And this was probably the one opening day attraction at Epcot that was just all about having fun while still at the same time being very educational. And here, more so almost than anywhere else, you don't realize that you're being taught, which was kind of the tenet of, of Epcot. You know, we, we, the, people, the word edutainment has been thrown around a lot. But I think this is a very good example of that and how it's done in a very fun way. And like you said, something that appeals to everybody uh, no matter what. Yeah, it was a good time. And it's, you know, and like I said, you know, we, when we talk about sort of the iconic music of Epcot, you know, it's not a tomorrow's child or it's not a if you can dream it, then you can do it. But let's face it, you're going to remember veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit <laughs> till, till you Go on to greener pastures. <laughs> <laughs> it's catchy. I mean, you you know, you yeah. may make fun of it, but it's a catchy tune, and that's what all these classic songs have to them, and that's and that's why uh, it just kind of continues to resonate after you hear it the first time. And you know, we'll talk in another segment, Jeff, about what succeeded this, which was Food Rocks that came in in 1994, 
and the comparisons between the two. A lot of people like Food Rocks better. I think, and we'll talk about this more when we cover it, but I think that Kitchen Cabaret, more so than Food Rocks, had a, for lack of a better term, Disney feel to it. Um, Food Rocks is a little bit more edgy. This had those characters and music and all the things that people enjoyed about the attractions in the Magic Kingdom for so many years that they were able to bring over to Epcot. And I think that's another one of the reasons why it had such a broad appeal. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're, you're right in that one, it, its charm was in its sort of sense of old-fashionedness. But at the same time, you know, I could see that, you know, in a meeting in 1994, they were saying, this is a bit old-fashioned, let's, <laughs> let's kick it up a notch. And I think that's probably what led to Food Rocks. And just to tease you with it, in case you have never seen Food Rocks, and to give you an idea of what we're talking about, let me just leave you with this. Tone Loke as Food Rapper is your host. So that, that'll give you an idea of how we transitioned from sweet little Bonnie Appetit to uh, Food Rapper, the, the rapping rapper of food portrayed by Tone, Where Am I Now in 2007, Loke. So, and, 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 and get it, you wrap your food and... Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put a bunch of pictures up in the show notes. I'll also see if I can find some links to some videos, maybe on places like YouTube, so you can get an idea of what the video, what the show looked like, as well as some other resources that um, I know you can buy the video on DVD. Some people have some uh, like Extinct Attractions Club. I know has something in their land DVD. So if you want want to go and check that out, if you're looking for something a little bit more high quality, a little bit more. Um, in depth and kind of multi angles. So, Jeff, Dream Boy, as always, lots of fun going back in time with you, reminiscing about um, veggie, veggie, fruit, fruit. Because his mother was born in a hot tub <laughs> and his brother was. Or his, I, I screwed it up! His mother <laughs> fell asleep in the hot tub and his brother was born hard boiled. Thank you. Thank you. He'll be all here all week. Jeff, buddy, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Lou. Take care. By the way, Mr. A. Yeah? Why was Chicken Little so upset the other day? Well, his mother fell asleep in a hot tub, and his brother was born hard-boiled. One more <laughs> joke like that, and we'll get the hook. Hook? Say, that reminds me. What about the fish story? A school of fish grew tired of a bragging big mouth bass. Why get straight A's, he used to say, and so he would cut class. Oh, he should have stayed in school. Oh, I made him a fool. Now there's a test he did not pass. <laughs> um, Mr. Eggs, whatever happened to that tuna you used to work with? Oh, sad story. She got caught being fresh and was canned. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Eggs. You're the first egg I've ever seen lay an egg. Oh, yeah? Let's finish up before you get us in real trouble. It's nice to dine with fruits and vegetables. Goodbye, and thank you for helping us chase away the mealtime blues. Remember, you're always welcome at the Kitchen Cabaret. Hello, WDW Radio Show listeners. This is Eric Hollister from Geomouse.com. We're about to play the next in our challenge series. It will be challenge number 10, 
this intro is a correction because throughout I accidentally introduced it as challenge number 11, but for all purposes this is challenge number 10, so we will go into the challenge. Welcome back, WDW Radio Show listeners. It is Eric Hollister from GeoMouse.com, and it is time for challenge number 11 in the Lou Mangello. I am almost finished with this marathon, and I'm crawling. Marathon Challenge Series. This week, we bring in another guest from MousePlanet.com. He's from WDW Today. He just celebrated a World Series victory with his Boston Red Sox. His New England Patriots are still undefeated as of this recording as are the Boston Celtics, Mike Scopa. Greetings doing, from Mike? Titletown, USA. <laughs> I know, it's almost unfair. Yeah, so, it's cyclical. Exactly. But in all, uh, in true marathon series fashion, uh, we brought you back on because we are, once again, in our next, in our challenge series. And of course, if you heard Mike's uh, challenge last time, it was a quote from a Disney World attraction. So we brought him back for the next quote in another Walt Disney World attraction. And again, like last time, it will be a quote from a past, present. Can we do a future attraction if we don't know what it is? Um, well, we could do a, uh, a wishful future attraction. Exactly. It might be kind of hard. Yeah, it'd be hard. So, but we will go ahead and let you introduce the, the challenge, the quote, and then I'll be back for some more details. Are you ready? Here it is. The quote is, Stop the movie! Stop the movie. Stop the movie! All right. So in order to be eligible for uh, the winning of challenge number 11, you have to email us at marathon at wdwradio.com with the correct attraction from which that quote is heard again it could be from a past or a present it is on walt disney world property and the winner will receive a walt disney world trivia books volume one and two signed by lou the marathon man mangello a disneyworldtrivia.com t-shirt disney world trivia trading pin and lanyard we're going to throw in this week a walt disney treasures your host walt disney dvd and in honor of uh you, Mike, and your show, we're going to throw in a 2008 unofficial guide to Walt Disney World. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> the winner will also get a certificate of dedication for mile marker number 11, so be sure to submit your mile marker name. We will also enter the winner into our grand prize drawing, which will take place at the end of the Half Marathon Challenge Series. And again, for those of you who have not heard what the grand prize is yet, it will be a Sorcerer Mickey Big Fig, the entire Pixar collection on DVD, including Ratatouille, Pirate of the Caribbean Trilogy on Blu-ray disc, and finally a giant Mickey Mouse plush, which, when standing up, is almost as tall as Lou Mangiello. And finally, GeoMouse.com will donate $100 to the Dream Team Project. So there you have it. It is challenge number 11. You have until midnight on November the 28th to submit your entries. Mike, this is the last couple of months, or actually we're less than two months away from the uh, half marathon now. So what should Lou be doing other than praying right now? Um, what Lou should be doing is he should be <clears throat> he should be ensuring that he can run at least uh, uh, six to nine 
miles at without stopping. I think that at this point, everyone who is intending on running the half marathon should be, and should be able to run, should be able to run probably about eight miles, um, because uh, with one month to go and with the holidays coming up, it'll be very difficult to continue training. So, so tweaking right now is, is what everyone should be thinking about. Possibly uh, looking at how they can improve their pace without injuring themselves. Being very careful not to overtrain. But right now, Lou should be probably in the eight-mile range, I'd say. That's good. You can work that off after that turkey dinner here in a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So run before you eat the turkey, before you fall asleep. <laughs> Well, Mike Scopa from WDW Today, MousePlanet.com, in Titletown, USA, Beantown, thank you again for uh, being a part in challenge number 11 in the Half Marathon Challenge Series. We appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be part of this. Thank you. This week's listener email section has a lot of fun and interesting emails, so let's go ahead and get started with the first question from Brandy Greeter from Glen Gardner, New Jersey, who writes, Lou, my husband and I are going to Walt Disney World on January 9th for the 5K race and want to watch the half and full marathons. We've always gone down there between March and October. What kind of weather can we expect or how should we pack? Thanks. Uh, Brandy, that, that's a tough question, but what I'm going to do first is I'm going to direct you over to the vacation planning section at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I'll put a link up in this week's show notes. I do have a, a chart there with the average temperatures as well as rainfall throughout the year to help you plan as you go down. Now, for Jan January, for example, it's really a crapshoot sometimes because I've been down that time of year and it can be very warm during the day. And you could also have evenings where it's very, very cold. So, for example, the average daily low is about 49, where the average daily high is about 72. So you might be in shorts during the day, and then you'll be actually going out and buying, like I've seen people do, hats and gloves and scarves on Main Street USA. So you have to really kind of pack accordingly. Make sure you kind of bring a, a pretty wide range of clothes. Um, or just do what my wife does. Just pack light stuff and then buy whatever else you need, which is a good excuse to get souvenirs and bring stuff home. So I uh, hope to see you actually down at the half marathon. Please come by and visit me at uh, Celebration Hospital. Next one comes from George in Oak Lawn, Illinois, who writes, Lou, congratulations on the much-deserved award for your podcast. Your guests and yourself are entertaining and informative. In fact, your podcasts are so informative that I've been going through all of them in preparation for our trip to Walt Disney World at the end of the month. Okay, enough with the accolades. Now for the questions. My wonderful wife is a terrific mother and God's gift to the world of vacation planning. She is, however, a worrier. When she heard about people being able to stay in Cinderella Castle, many concerns popped into that lovely head of hers. She wants to know what happens in case of an emergency. Are the guests locked in? What type, what type of security is provided for them? And what if someone gets sick? What if someone from home is trying to get in touch with them? Do they stay inside the room until the park opens? What about room service? I'm looking forward to your CD and meeting you. Much regards, George. George, that's a great question. Unfortunately, I have not had the good fortune to stay there. As you know, you cannot rent out the Cinderella Castle Suite at this time. It is still part of the second year of A Million Dreams promotion that's going to be starting next year. Uh, but what I do understand from people that I've spoken to is it's very important to note you are not locked in at all. You you are not, by any stretch of the imagine, imagination, kept as sort of a prisoner in your suite. Uh, in fact, it's just the opposite. There is someone on call near the room 24 hours a day 
in order to attend to all of your needs as well as provide security. Although remember, the park is closed, you know, at, at a certain point, and there's really no access to that suite by anybody except you and the people from Disney. So security really isn't much of an issue there. Uh, you can get out early, and you can get out of the room, and if you want to go into the park, if you want to go into the Magic Kingdom, you can go. They will actually provide you with an escort. There's also food available. Again, 24 hours a day, there's hot and cold food, as well as snacks. They do kind of prepare in advance to say, well, you know what, if they do want something hot, we might have some stuff prepared for them that we can bring up. They'll also bring you unlimited snacks, drinks, whatever it is that you want, because it's important that, like I said, they are really treating you like the royalty that you are staying in this castle suite. So, for example, say you wanted to leave the Magic Kingdom, you wanted to go and eat at a resort, they will provide you with transportation. They will provide you with a limo that'll take you anywhere else that you want to go on property. So, I would love to hear from anybody that has had the the wonderful opportunity to stay in the castle suite. Like I've said, since the promotion first came out, I think this is the most special of all of the prizes that you can win in the Year of Million Dreams. I know dollar-wise, a DVC membership sounds wonderful, but if I had a choice to win anything, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity is definitely what I would do. And again, if anybody had the chance to stay, I would love to hear from you. So the next email comes from Dana in Wilmington, North Carolina, who said, Lou, we really appreciate your regular updates on the rumored Tinkerbell meet-and-greet that may be coming to the Magic Kingdom. We'll be visiting in December, hope to meet you in person at MouseFest, and my daughter is dying to know if Tink might be ready to greet her fans by then. Are the rumors any closer to becoming news? Thanks for creating such an entertaining and informative podcast. We love them, Dana. Dana, I I don't have any details as far as dates yet because Disney has not given any official word as yet. I do know that they are casting for Tink and her fairy friends right now, so I would expect it hopefully soon. You would think that they would try and introduce this maybe in time for the busy holiday season. I don't know if they're going to do that or if it's not going to be something until you'll see after the first of the year. But obviously, as I hear anything more, I'll be sure to let you know. Next email says, Lou, my cousin, friends, and I are running the half marathon in January. Do you have a good suggestion on a place to carbo load the night before? Need that energy for race day. Thanks, Emily in New Jersey. Um, Emily, I'll defer to the um, ever knowledgeable marathon man himself, Mike Scopa, who said in an earlier discussion when I had him on the show that you can go back uh, one of the first few episodes, he said that Trails End was one of his favorite places over at Fort Wilderness. We've covered this as a hidden treasure and the best of the best because you really get the best bang for the buck dollar-wise there as far as the amount of food that you get for um, the actual cost. Now, it's a great place to go. It's inexpensive. The food is very good. But the only caveat is is because it's in Fort Wilderness, sometimes it is a little bit tricky to get to, uh, whether you have a car or you don't have a car. If time is an issue, that might be something that you'd consider. Um, The only other thing that I might want to tell you is, and this is something that I'm thinking about myself preparing for the night before, is that I would definitely try and stay away from things that potentially could give you some stomach issues, for lack of a better word. Things like heavy creams or sauces or spicy foods. And the other thing to keep in mind is because you have to get up so, so early, I mean, Mike suggests getting a wake-up call at 2 a.m., you may want to have dinner near your resort. You know, most places have a very simple pasta dish, or if you just want something that's not very heavy, like a very simple pasta, maybe with butter or garlic, something like that, most places will offer that and and definitely kind of work around you. So uh, me personally, I've been carbo-loading for months now, so I'll be all ready to go come race time and uh, hope to have the opportunity to meet you there. 
Next email says, Lou, love the podcast. It's great to hear other people that are as interested in Disney World as I am. I've been to Disney World four times in about the last 10 years, including a trip this past February. And the one thing I have not been able to find on these trips is a store that has an extensive collection of Disney movies for sale. Sure, lots of stores have a few of the movies of the moment, but I have not found that one place that has every Disney movie, including the low, old, live-action ones. Am I just missing it, or is there not one on property that you know of? Uh, That comes from David in Virginia. David has a two-part question. I'll hit that part first. David, I agree with you. A lot of the stores that you do find around property will just have recent releases, things coming out of the vault. I think the best place to try and find whatever they do have available is the World of Disney over in Downtown Disney. They have a very big selection of not only Disney movies, but of music as well that you can also sample from the listening stations there. That is probably your best bet um, in order to try and find what you're looking for. So the second part of his question said, also in February, I attended a conference at the Beach and Yacht Club at the same, and the same conference will be there in 2008. Because I experienced a lot of the area around these resorts while I was, while I was there, I was thinking of staying at one of the other resorts, but I'm worried about being able to get from, let's say, the Contemporary to the Yacht Club for classes that start at 8 a.m. Any thoughts? Thanks, and keep up the great work, David in Richmond. David, you keep in mind that the buses and the monorails do start very early, probably around 6.30 a.m. or so, depending on what time the parks open. They usually start running about an hour and a half early. Uh, If you're on the monorail route, someplace like the Contemporary, uh, you can take the monorail to the Transportation and Ticket Center, take it over to Epcot and walk if you like, or you can just get the bus. If you're really concerned about time-wise, definitely stay at the Contemporary. The new rooms are beautiful. There's lots of, uh, of great things to do there. Uh, and then you could just get a taxi. That probably wouldn't cost you more than $10 or so to get on over to Epcot. And then again, you can kind of take your time leisurely going back via bus or monorail, depending on what you want to do. But definitely go and enjoy all the Contemporary has to offer. Next email says, Hey Lou, I'm a lifelong Disney fan and share Walt's birthday on December 5th. I claim to, I never claim to know it all when it comes to Disney and absolutely love learning anything new and exciting related to Walt Disney World. That's how I happened upon your website and podcast. Congratulations on the award. You definitely deserve it for the magical work that you do. Thank you. My husband and I will be traveling to the world from December 1st through the 7th without our son and daughter, Benjamin 13 and Noel 7, who will be staying home with grandma and grandpa. As long as neither one of them gets to go, they're okay with mommy and daddy going to celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary, even though it's their happy place too. With the Disney Visa discount, we were able to get an upgrade from the Scopa Towers to Coronado Springs for only $32 for our entire stay. What a treat and what a deal. The kicker is that we've never even visited this resort, let alone stayed there. This fact finally gets me to my question. We've never been to a spa, but notice that Coronado Springs has one. Have you or anyone that you know ever experienced this spa? We should arrive by Magical Express around 1230 and plan on checking in, enjoying a light lunch as we have ADRs at 630 at Ohana. Do you think we would have the time, or is it even worth it, to experience the spa for both of us and to utilize what it has to offer? So what do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep believing in the magic. That comes from Anne-Marie. Uh, Anne-Marie, I have not personally gone to the spa over at Coronado Springs, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. There is the La Vida Health Club and the Casa del, Casa del Belleza Hairstyling Salon. Now, the salon only has things like hairstyling, makeup, nail services, and facials, and that's it. The uh, Nikki Bryan Spa provides the services at the health club. And if you go to the website, relaxedyet.com, and I'll put that link up in the show notes, it'll tell you a little bit more. But for the most part, the only spa services that I understand that you can get there 
are really things like manicures and pedicures as well as uh, some facials and of course haircuts things like that if you're looking for a spa and you, you sounds like you're gonna have a few hours I would definitely recommend the spa over at Saratoga Springs. My wife recently experienced it, and Kara Goldsberry, who's the author of The Luxury Disney Guide, she has been on the show before. You can listen to one of our earlier episodes where she came on. She raves about the Saratoga Springs Spa. My wife, I sent her during Epcot's 25th anniversary on what was supposed to be a somewhat relaxing slash research trip. She came back glowing, literally, and as if she had... Uh, had found nirvana so that is a um, is is a great testament to what the spa has to offer she really really enjoyed it um it, it's from what i understand the best spa on property even more so than the grand floridian so if you have some time you want to take a trip over really enjoy and indulge yourself in a spa uh, and don't just want to do something that the uh, la vida health club has you might want to think about going over to saratoga springs next email says lou i love walt disney world and i'm finally going in january 08 but I don't have anybody to take with me. I'm 21 in college, so my parents aren't interested and I really don't have any companions to go with. So my question is, is it worth going by yourself? Or is it too much of a hassle? I love the show and thanks. Well, let me tell you, I have said this before, I will say it again, I really like going alone and I'll and I'll not use the quote-unquote research trip as an excuse or the joke here because I think that going alone has a lot of benefits and you should never feel awkward or uncomfortable or second guess going by yourself to Walt Disney World. And there's a number of reasons why. Number one, if you want to go and maybe don't want to be alone and enjoy things alone, believe me, if you want to meet other people and spend time with other people, this is the best place to do it because you're all there because we share a common love and common passion. So it's so easy to strike up a conversation with somebody at dinner or online or even as you're standing and watching a parade. I've done it before. You instantly can make friends. And if you want to go eat together or whatever, you can do it. But if you do want to go by yourself, I think it's even better because you can. It's very easy to go find places to eat. You don't have to worry about a party of four or a party of six if you take your whole family. Many times you can just go and walk up to even a lot of table service restaurants and see if you can be seated. Also, as far as dining is concerned, it might give you a good opportunity to try something new. Maybe something that others in your group or kids wouldn't want to try something a little more adventurous maybe try restaurant marrakesh in morocco or boma or tepan edo go to downtown disney at night try some of the restaurants down there bounce around to some of the different clubs like house of blues go to pleasure island there's lots to do there and again a very easy place to make friends and male or female friends if that's what you're going to look for when you go down there um obviously we know what a fun and friendly place it is but again i kind of like it i i enjoy not having to worry about what this one wants to do what that wants to do are my kids getting tired does this one in the group not like this attraction or not want to wait online you really have the chance to kind of come and go as you please with nobody sort of slowing you down <laughs> for lack of a better word so definitely go and enjoy it january is a great time if you're going early in the year you might still be able to catch some of the holiday decorations uh, otherwise if you go a little bit later on the parks are the, the weather is great the parks are not very crowded so i think you'll have a wonderful experience next email comes from matthew parish in missouri who writes lou i've never written to you before but i'm a faithful listener of the wdw radio show my brother in kansas city and i agree that you have the best quality disney podcast and your segments with jeff are excellent and always informative we're DVC members and appreciate the insider information as we plan our trips to Walt Disney World. My brother and sister were cast members for several years at Walt Disney World, so the information is very re relatable, especially the, the nostalgia segments. I have two quick questions for you. 
Are you aware of a possible soft opening for Spaceship Earth near the beginning of January? My new wife and I are planning a January 6th through the 11th Walt Disney World vacation for our honeymoon, and we're disappointed they pushed the date back on the refurb. You are not alone. Matthew, I'll answer that one first. Uh, as you probably know already, Spaceship Earth's opening has been pushed back until February, but I am hearing from some cast members that they are literally working around the clock to try and not only meet that deadline, but possibly shoot for an earlier soft opening date. Now, it, it's very important to realize that there is never a guarantee when it comes to soft openings. Even if they do have soft openings, it may be for a few hours at a time, so never really look to rely on that. Go in with the expectation that it will likely be closed, and if you get lucky and happen to be at the right place at the right time, uh, hopefully you'll get to experience it. His next question says, I was married in Las Vegas in October, and while we visited Disneyland for the first time on our trip, our official honeymoon will take place at Walt Disney World that same January 2008 trip. Do you know of any extra perks we might be able to receive as we spend our honeymoon inside the resort? Any information would be appreciated. Uh, I say this all the time, Matthew. Tell anybody and everybody when you book your trip or if you've already booked it, call back and say, oh, okay, I'm just calling to confirm. want to let you know that this is going to be our honeymoon, whatnot. They will definitely make a note in the reservation. Uh, everywhere that you go, when you go to guest relations at any of the parks, go get your just married or honeymoon button. And uh, again, not one of these things that you'll be guaranteed something, but I, I will I will guarantee that most cast members that you meet will go out of their way for you and to try and make your experience all the more magical. It could be a little thing here and there, but um, oftentimes, even if you're eating at a restaurant or if you're walking through the parks, they see that button, uh, they will try, try and do something a little bit extra special for you. Next email says, Lou, our family are big Disney fans, and in September, we took a seven-day Western Caribbean Disney cruise. We had a blast. No surprise there. The highlights were Castaway Key and Mexico. I've read that they have an original submarine from the 20,000 Leagues attraction on the island you can dive on. When we were there, we swam and dove on it, and it sure looked like it was one of the ships. However, the staff lifeguards didn't know what we were talking about, and I'm sure you can confirm if it was part of the original attraction. We couldn't place some of the other boats and artifacts that were sunk in the area. Also, I'm looking forward to your thoughts and comparisons on dining and the magic versus staying on property at Disney World. Keep up the good work, and that comes from Sid Gray in Georgia. Sid, you're right. There are actually two subs from the original Walt Disney World 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea attraction that are completely submerged, uh, with the tops of them being about six feet under, and they are not, they're, they're over in the snorkeling area. There's a roped-off area for snorkeling, and it's way, way back in the corner. Um, you really have to kind of go and look for it. It's not right in front. I, unfortunately, didn't have a chance to snorkel and go on this trip as much as I would have liked to and taken some pictures to bring back. Uh, I heard, have heard people ask me, saying, oh, they've heard that the subs are gone. My understanding is that they are not gone. They are still there, but you do need to look for them, and you need to kind of swim maybe a little bit farther out in order to find them. The other thing that I know is down there is a... Uh, a statue of Mickey that is also supposedly sunk. Um, so I don't think those are gone. I, I don't think Disney would remove them. So if anybody has pictures and can confirm it, wants to share them with us, by all means, please let us know. Uh, you mentioned Castaway Key in Mexico. I have to just quickly say that I like Castaway Key better than anything. I, I would be perfectly happy going on the magic for seven days, spending all my time at sea, maybe a day or even two at Castaway Key. I think it's better than any of the other ports because it keeps that Disney feel, it keeps that Disney magic, as well as that sense of safety and security. And, and don't get me wrong, all the ports are, for the most part, very safe, very 
secure, but you have to remember, too, you're in a foreign country and you are outside the protection and control of Disney. And sometimes as you're walking through some of the areas, you may be approached by people that obviously have no involvement with Disney or the crews offering to take you on trips. And again, you, you know, I'm not saying that you hear horror stories, but you do have to sort of just kind of use your head and beware. And that's kind of what I like about Castaway Key and being on the ship is that you know you don't have to worry about any of that. You know everything is completely safe and secure. Castaway Key is all Disney. There are no outside vendors. There's no nothing there. So it uh, it's a wonderful experience. I see why you raved about it as you did. Now, as far as food is concerned, you know, I came back from the cruise and I'm looking around waiting for my buffet every day. I'm asking my wife, well, what's, you know, where am I eating tonight? <laughs> and where's the midnight buffet? I'm, I'm hungry and I need to answer emails. But uh, the food was so much better than you might expect on a Disney cruise. It's not all chicken fingers and hamburgers, I can assure you. If you've heard about Palo, the adult-only Italian restaurant, the, the food was absolutely exceptional, and I see why people rave about it. And again, that and all the food on board, there was lots of it too, is, is much, much better than you might expect. And this is something I'm going to do really, I'm going to fully cover the cruise and sort of do a full review and cruise discussion because I know a lot of people like to go and do a land sea Walt Disney World and Disney Cruise Line vacation so it might be something that you'd be interested in so let me just get to a couple other quick questions the first one comes from Tammy who said Luke can you tell me the dentist's name in a scene in the great movie ride well Tammy what I think you're probably referring to because there is no animatronic scene involving any sort of dentist that I can think of but it does sound like you maybe are talking about the scene in the movie montage at the end of the attraction and that scene is probably from Marathon Man, that 1976 film starring Dustin Hoffman. And if you're looking for the specific name of the dentist, his name is Dr. Christian Zell. So if I'm wrong, if that's not what you're talking about, or if anybody else can think of another scene that maybe I'm missing, uh, by all means, please let me know. And finally, Rebecca writes in and says, Lou, my questions are in regard to money. How much would you approximate it costs to build Animal Kingdom? Additionally, there are some huge trees in Animal Kingdom. How much would one of these trees cost? Rebecca, uh, thanks for the question, and I'll hit the first one first. Uh, believe it or not, Disney Imagineers spent 10 years designing Disney's Animal Kingdom and $800 million, almost a billion dollars, to build Disney's theme park. Now, that's put it in, in perspective, that's about twice as much as what it cost to open all of Walt Disney World, including the Magic Kingdom and all the resorts and the golf courses and everything else in $1971. Now, I'm not exactly sure about the cost of the individual trees. It's not something Disney normally releases. Uh, what I can tell you is that when they did open Disney's Animal Kingdom, they planted more than 4 million different trees and plants and shrubs and vines and grasses from all over the world, actually every single content, continent on Earth except Antarctica. And there's about 4,000 different species of trees there. So, again, not uh, necessarily answering your question about dollar-wise dollar because... You know, we don't know what they spent individually, but give you an idea of just the scope and the magnitude and the cost of what it costs to build it. So that's going to do it again for this week. Um, again, I still have lots more to get to, but by all means, please keep on emailing me. You can send it to Lou at WDWRadio.com. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I also want to say thanks to Jeff Pepper, listener Glenn Whalen, Eric Hollister, and Mike Scopa for their help on this week's show. 
Don't forget that the first of my audio guides to Walt Disney World is now available at DisneyWorldTrivia.com slash audio guide. The CD is just under 80 minutes long as I narrate your way around Town Square through every shop and past every window, pointing out details along your journey. And on the way, you're going to learn about the incredible details and secrets and history of each land, starting with Main Street USA, and discover fascinating bits of trivia. You can learn more and read reviews on the DisneyWorldTrivia.com site. I will link to it in the show notes. The first CD, like I said, is Main Street USA. It's just $9.99 and it is shipping now. So visit the show notes page for a link to the order form and information page. The holidays are coming up, which means that running to the mall and time to stand in line to get presents for all your friends and family and giving to others in the spirit of the season. Well, why not treat yourself or even the whole family to a trip to Walt Disney World? as now may be a good time thanks to a special discount on tickets because our friends over at OrlandoFunTickets.com are kicking off the season by giving you a special promotion. Starting today, if you buy a three-day Magic Your Way ticket with Park Hopper, they will give you a free upgrade to a five-day Magic Your Way ticket also with the Park Hopper, getting two free extra days. You can learn more or buy tickets online by visiting the special offers section of their website. I'll put the link to that section in this week's show notes. Remember that a trip to Disney World is a great gift for the holidays for yourself or for someone that you love. So book now to enjoy all the festivities that Disney has to offer during the holiday season. Don't forget that on the next few shows, I'm going to have more history and trivia segments, as well as some great vacation planning advice, as well as hidden treasures with some special guests. So be sure and stay tuned. And as you may or may not know, there's been a lot of work going on backstage over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com as I get ready to launch an all-new updated site with a lot of new features, a completely new look, and more. Stay tuned for that, but what I want to do now is see if I can ask for some of your help. What I'm looking for are photos from Walt Disney World, and specifically, I'm looking for old photos from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s of everything from extinct attractions to shops buildings, shows, to just about anything from in and around the park, especially from the early days. Anything and everything is welcome, because even if you're there in in your bad 70s clothes and hair, I want to see it, and photos can be from the exteriors or interiors of these buildings or shows, because, as I'm sure you know me by now, no little detail is too geeky for me, so even if you're unsure of what something might be, or where it may be from, uh, if you're, or even if you think I might not be interested, again, please feel free to send it over. If you can, you can send those to uh, Lou at uh, wdwradio.com, and uh, I appreciate any help that you guys can give me. Speaking of help, I want to very quickly once again give you all a very sincere and heartfelt thanks to everybody who emailed me and donated to the DisneyWorldTrivia.com Dream Team Project because of my recent mother-in-law's passing. I really do appreciate all of your condolences and support. It means a great deal to me and my family and to my wife, and I really just wanted to take the time to say thank you once again. Uh, But anyway, moving on, don't forget, please keep emailing the show at lou at wdwradio.com, calling in your voicemails to 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. You can call us with your questions, comments, reviews, even just a call from the parks. We love hearing from you. And remember, you can also join us all week long at our fun and very friendly forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. You can discuss the show, news, rumors, anything Disney-related over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And finally, please help spread the word about the show if you enjoy it. Let others know. Thanks again to my guests, and always thanks to you for tuning in again this week. Have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. So until next week, I'll see ya.
Hey, Lou, this is Patrick from Nashville, and I just wanted to comment on your Tomorrowland comment, that Tomorrowland was never about tomorrow. You know, that growing up as a kid, I only went to Disney a couple of times, once to California when I was about 12 and twice in my high school years. And to me, Tomorrowland was never about the, the, the topic of the attraction being tomorrow. It was about the technology of the attraction being tomorrow. So you could show the history of flight, or you could show uh, you know, a panoramic view in a Circle Vision 360 theater, and the, the real draw was the technology. Um, yeah, I think seeing the Buzz Lightyear ride is sort of a shift in philosophy there again to a retro future, future that never was kind of thing. Uh, and almost like an aspirational Tomorrowland. Gee, I wish I was Buzz Lightyear. Gee, I wish I went to the outer space with Stitch. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I'm stretching it too far. Anyway, um, you know, just a, that's, that's how, I, as a kid, I perceived Tomorrowland, and I, a little bit of how I still do. So, you know, the, the, the criticisms are being leveraged. You know, how, how can you really, truly build an attraction based on tomorrow? Uh, because otherwise it's extinct pretty quick. Um, you might call some, that something, you know, a better word might be future world or, oh wait, that's, that's future too. Anyway, uh, I ramble on too much. Anyway, thanks for a great show. It really helps when I get stuck in traffic like I was tonight and uh, that I can call in from my car. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at MouseFest. Uh, you'll notice that uh, I'm there with my pregnant wife. That's how you can tell who we are, Patrick and Lydia. Uh, visit us at patrickandlydia.com. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Annalise, age 11. Um, now I just wanted to say thanks for telling us on your podcast that about um, tell people at Walt Disney World that it's your, your birthday because I've been having a great time here. We are sitting at the getting ready for the holiday Christmas party um, fireworks. So thanks for everything, Lou. Bye. Oh, hi, Lou. This is Chris reporting from Orlando. I'm in the Polynesian Lounge. So I'd like to know that I saw the touchscreen counter services in the counter service in Captain Cook's in the Polynesian. I don't know if this is old news or new news, but I thought I'd just like to know. That's it, Lou. Keep up the good work, and talk to you later.